agnostics, long-haired weirdos, short-haired weirdos, vandals, hooligans. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. The government of the government love. Welcome to The Politics Guys, a place for bipartisan, rational, and civil debate on American politics and policy. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. I'm joined today by Cleveland Area Attorney and Republican Factotum, Jay Carson. Hey, Jay. Good morning, Mike. Hey, how are you doing? I am I am doing okay. How about you? Oh, good. I was, yeah, I was counting on you to say something witty. Is the you know, I don't even try for witty. You are our <laughs> resident wit, and so all the pressure is on you. So anyway... Uh, so I guess it's a been a it's been a well it's been an interesting week as I guess all weeks will be when we have so much impeachment news sure. to talk about. It's not an everyday sort of thing. So uh, what? Sure. Just- so uh, yeah, I'll lead off with that. Our our first uh, story topic uh, today is that for the fourth time in the history of the republic, uh, the House will be drafting articles of impeachment against the president. Um, this was uh, announced by Speaker Pelosi last week. Uh, where she indicated that uh, in her her speech that the president had engaged in a long uh, abuse uh, abuse of power, uh, undermining our national security and jeopardizing the integrity of our elections, and had seriously violated the Constitution. Uh, In other impeachment news, uh, I mean, this and this, of course, came as a surprise to no one. In other impeachment news, uh, it was learned that uh, uh, House Intel Chairman um, Adam Schiff has released uh, some phone logs that he obtained through subpoena, a secret subpoena, uh, to uh, Rudy Giuliani's phone carrier. Um, and there has been some some dust up about that that I'm sure we'll talk to. And and I guess then the third part of this, of impeachment, is the fact that we actually have reports now, uh, one from uh, Adam Schiff and the, the uh, majority on the House Intel Committee, and then sort of a, a counter-report uh, by the Republicans. Uh, that has been uh, sent to the the speaker, uh, who is then again sending it to uh, the Judiciary Committee, uh, and in uh, and you know we'll, we'll take in the next steps of dra- actually drafting uh, articles of impeachment. So, Mike, what are your thoughts of of where we go from here? From here, um, I, I will pause to say uh, that that again, um, I told you so. But after that, go ahead. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, you know. I feel, Jay. I kind of feel like, uh, like one of the DAs in in the in those cop shows, and the cops are all they they know that this guy did it, right? And it's just so obvious, and it's just this guy is smirking and then just holding it, you know, in their face, and they 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 go to the DA and they say, "We know this guy did it," and the DA says, "I know this guy did it too, but you gotta bring me the evidence," and that's my frustration. I have no doubt. I well. I have very little doubt, how about that, that the things that Nancy Pelosi and other Democrats are accusing Donald Trump of doing, he did, in fact, do. But dang it, the evidence is not, is at least there's, it's not there, I, I don't think. And that's the frustration Damon Baranowski, to me. I want this investigation run by the book. You know, and, that, that's the, and that's the frustrating thing to me. I get why they're doing what they're doing. But that that's my big problem, you know, and it just seems like, well, this isn't a star chamber, as some people are on the right are calling it. But but it certainly is a political trial. Right. I mean, yeah, both sides have their minds made up. Nothing short of a admission on tape, a la, you know, Nixon of Trump saying, you know, that, yes, there is a quid pro quo is going to change anyone's mind. And so 
I, you know, it, it, it's just deeply frustrating when you know somebody or when you when you have strong reason to believe that somebody is guilty. And yet the people who are conducting the investigation seem basically to have made a political choice. And, and I get the political choice, the political choice to instead of pursuing justice and defending the institutions against someone who I believe is a threat to our elections and our system, instead are choosing the path of greater political ex- uh, expediency. That's that's frustrating to me. Well, I, I guess I'm, I'm still of, of the opinion, and we've talked about this before, that I, I don't think the facts are that really much much in question. Um, uh, as, as you've said, uh, but then the, the issue becomes, is this is something that is impeachable? And again, that's, that's obviously, uh, there is no hard and fast standard for that. We had a, a parade of law professors, um, last week. Um, uh, again, uh, some swearing, this is absolutely impeachable. This is the most impeachable thing they've ever seen. Um, and others saying, well, no, this, this doesn't comport with what the founders saw as, as, as impeachable. Um, which is it, to me it, that's that's a fascinating sort of academic historical question, um, but the real world doesn't really make any make a difference, right? Yeah, because they're they're drafting the articles, um, and and if if uh, if if uh, uh, the defense is uh, well, that wasn't really an impeachable defense or an impeachable offense according to what the founders would have thought. Um, it's not like you can you can go to court and and make that argument. Uh, you can make that argument in the Senate. Yeah, and well, I think the Senate we know where the Senate's going to go with that. So, um, so again, I think that's that's fascinating. I I, I think um, the, uh, the the Democrats still it strikes me though is is this is just and and I'm I'm not just trying to to puff up my own prognostic uh, prognostication. Um, but to me, this is something that, you know, the launch sequence on this was started years ago uh, and and they they had to had to do it. There's no way to 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 not impeach once you have uh, all these things moving, once you have a special counsel going, once you take the majority and once, you know, you have, have so many Democrats. Now, there, it's, it's often the, the case is made about Democrats who uh, who won, who turned the balance of the House were. Uh, more moderate Democrats from Trump uh, districts, uh, where there was just sort of this this sense of uh, return to normalcy sort of thing, uh, as opposed to the ideologues who who want impeachment. But but I think it's important to remember so many of the the more left leaning Democrats uh, campaigned and pushed of we're going to get rid we're going to get rid of Trump. So um, it's it's sort of once you've got the base fired up that much, I, I think there's no there's no turning back. So. That to me doesn't make any impeachment in, uh, illegitimate. Just because no. there are some people who no, I'm not saying okay. illegitimate, but I'm still saying a, a bad idea. Well, I, I don't even think it makes it a bad idea. I mean, my position well, here is somebody who you know I I certainly think there's strong reason to believe that Donald Trump has done has committed impeachable offenses. So my okay. argument isn't that impeachment is a bad idea. My argument is that impeachment done on a too quick political timetable is a bad idea. And, and right. that, you know, that's been my position for, for a while now. And, and pretty clearly everyone wants to get this, uh, uh, wants to get this taken care of by January, February, that sort of thing, you know? And, and so some of these charges are just, uh, I guess are kind of confusing to me in one way, like 
the biggest confusion I guess I have, and this gets into my my bigger issue with how my party is doing this in Congress, is this and this obstruction of Congress. Now, I I get the argument. That's but, not really a thing. Well, well I mean, obstruction <laughs> obstruction is a thing, and I think that's right, absolutely exactly. an impeachable thing because it goes to the heart of separation of powers. But to me, obstruction and, of justice is a thing, right? But but and so, but yeah, obstruction of Congress in its in its uh, constitutionally sanctioned role of conducting an impeachment uh, investigation, and I think that's that in and of itself is an impeachable offense and a removable offense. But the problem is that the the Trump side is arguing is is making an executive privilege claim, and that's their legal right to do now. If the courts determined that that's not a valid claim and Donald Trump still stonewalled, then that would clearly be obstruction. So it seems to me that the way to do this, if you're, you know, if you're actually after, if you're concerned more about the uh, the, the sanctity of, of the system and checks and balances and the power of the presidency and abuses and all of that stuff, is to push this through the courts to the end. And then if the Trump administration is still stonewalling, then then you have a, a rock solid case for obstruct. How could you argue? How could anyone even how could even Jim Jordan argue that that's not obstruction? Right. If the Supreme Court says, sure. no, these people have to testify. No, you have to turn over these records. And then tr- Trump says, I'm not going to. Well, that that's about as textbook obstruction as you can get. And under those grounds, I, I would bet that even you would say, well, at that point, the president uh, uh, should be impeached and removed. Well, I'd, I'd, I'd wait on the evidence, but well, I'm, no, no, I don't, I don't know, think you need to. Yeah. First of all, I, there was there was there was some late breaking news this morning, and I don't know whether you had, had seen it yet, but uh, the Supreme Court uh, has has um, stayed the mm-hmm. uh, uh, orders that uh, Trump turned over financial documents uh, in a um, sort of just summary uh, mm-hmm. opinion uh, written by none other than uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Right. And that's just for a um, week till the till the 13th, I believe, so sure. that the Trump administration can make its case, uh, they get a little more time. So it's a pretty it's a sure. pretty short term stay. Sure. Um, but still, there is there is a recognition of executive privilege. Um but to me, it's I almost argue the the other way. Isn't it sometimes the the uh, executive's job to obstruct Congress? Could the object could the executive charge Congress with obstruction of of uh, executive uh, workings? I mean, that's that's this is the nature of of our constitution. Is is these uh, branches are supposed to be at odds with each other? Um, and and it comes down to in this sort of thing a political contest of of look where are the people going to be at the end of the day, uh, are they going to view Congress uh, Congress's uh, actions in this as uh, overstepping their bounds, uh, or they will they view the president as overstepping his bounds, or both, or then will they just not care? My um, my I, my my God, so I, think, Jay. I think that's the thing, and so I'm saying I'm saying as far as going to court though, I mean, um, uh, because I think that's. You know, I, a, a I just separate say, question. Congress is, I mean, Congress overstepping its bounds. Congress for a century now has just basically turned itself into this complete constitutional weakling uh, vis-a-vis the president. And, and the idea that all of a sudden Congress is too powerful is 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 a joke, I think, uh, almost. And so, well, I mean, the, the problem, and I think you would agree, that the problem we've seen in American government just writ large over the last 
12th century is that the executive is far too powerful and it's become, uh, you know, it, it, it's become that way because Congress has let the executive become too powerful. Yeah, no, in, in, uh, in areas of uh, regulatory policy and Congress just sort of writing essentially blank regulatory checks uh, to the executive uh, or, or things like, um, uh, you know, allowing various executive overrides of, of um, uh, like the, um, you know, we had the travel ban issue that that came down to, uh, could the, uh, the president of national security say this is, but, but in terms of investigation though, that's something different. And, you know, you have a situation here where Congress is digging into, um, the, you know, trying to get at the, the personal conversations between the president, his advisors, uh, they, this is all based on. Uh, the report of an anonymous whistleblower who obtained information that probably would want to be classified from a private conversation between the president and a foreign leader. Um, let which, me just uh, let me just to, interrupt just for a minute sure. there, Jay. Is that it's not actually all based on the report of an anonymous whistleblower? That was the thing that started it all off. But now there have been multiple people who have come forward and issued statements that are largely congruent with one another. So while the while the whistleblower report is, you're right, the thing that started it and was a part of it. Now you could take the whistleblower report out of it entirely, and there is enough of a case that the president mm. has done things that at least are certain should be questionable sure. to most folks. Sure. There, there's also, I mean, what's, but, but here's, here's the thing. Uh, if we're talking about executive privilege and in the, the balance of power between Congress and the presidency, if Congress uh, can uh, assume the power of being able to call all these witnesses based on one anonymous report and be able to get into uh, the nitty gritty of what a president said, what people overheard while they're in the, uh, you know, other offices in the White House. Um, that's, I mean, I think that's troubling. If, if you're a foreign leader and, you know, you're, you're going to have a frank uh, conversation with the president, wouldn't you take, wouldn't that give you a little bit of pause? Well, if knowing you're, that if, whatever if, you say may, may be subject to all coming out again. But you all, I mean, I think you already know that as, as has been documented that when the president talks to foreign leaders, it's not like he's just, you know, picking up, sure. his, picking up his iPhone and making a private call. There sure. are a lot of people who are, there are in, other on, people in the room. Absolutely. There yeah. are plenty of people on both sides who are in the room. And so as a foreign leader, you understand that that is not a secure and private conversation. And so if a president says things that are well outside the bounds, you, I mean, you have no reasonable expectation of, of any sort of privacy in that kind of communication. Now, I wow. would, I would, well, you don't, because if you're talking with someone and you know that there are maybe 10, 15, 20 other people listening, do you have a reasonable expectation of privacy? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> in if what you world? Are, no, absolutely. In what world, Jay? On both sides. In, in so, world, okay. In the world, in the world of, of presidents and chief executives. You really think if, that's how it if, works? I, I had no idea you were that naive. That's that's stunning. Wow. Well, let's 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 consider this. Um, say the uh, Trump uh, calls Netanyahu, or Netanyahu calls Trump, mm -hmm. and says, "Hi, Donald. Uh, uh, sorry, sorry to hear you got troubles. <laughs> Boy, let me tell you. Yeah. Um, sure. uh, but but tell you what, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We are attacking Iran uh, in two days. Um, 
Now, keep that under your hat, please. Uh, we'd rather it not get out. Right. And Trump says, sure, you got it. That's terrific, uh, baby. Best best of luck to you. Um, in, in that case, would, would not Netanyahu have some expectation that sure, people who are listening yeah. would be subject to, yeah. to sort of the national security secrecy requirements? And, and when, you're, when right. you're sitting in the room with the president talking to a foreign leader, it's not something you go out yeah. and blab about. Yeah, and that, that's, a, that's I, I see what you're saying. Yeah, and that's a fair point. And I, I guess what, I, what I'm arguing is when you have a bunch of people on the call, many of whom, just like the president, have taken an oath to defend the Constitution and they hear things that they believe are maybe, you know, deeply troubling, like uh, like uh, Lieutenant Colonel Vimmen did, and they report these things and nothing seems to happen or they don't feel something's happening. So it goes back to then, my... Then, then they ought to resign. Well, they certainly can. That's one option that's open to them, but there are also options. I mean, there's a reason why we have whistleblower laws and protections. There's a reason why we have inspectors general and is it inspectors general, like attorneys general? I believe so. But there's a reason why we have all of of these procedures in place, because we understand that while certainly what I'm saying is it's not black and white. You're right. Executive executive privilege is there for a reason. And it's an important it's an extremely important value. But it's not the only value, and that's the role of the courts is when there are these conflicting claims, then sure. it's the role of the courts to adjudicate them. And it's not the role of the right. executive. And, 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 and to, I, don't, I don't disagree with you that executive privilege is a question for the courts. Yeah. And, yeah. I, you know, and there are some, certainly, who would say that, well, no, this is not a non-justiciable thing. The courts don't have any say in this. It's just if the executive says, you know, the kind of John... John Yu sort of uh, uh, approach is John Yu. Is that right? Yeah. The uh, uh, but and you know I, I certainly reject that, and I I think you do as well. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, no, I I would say though that the, the the impeachability of an offense is non justiciable. Right. Yeah. I, I would I would agree. That, yeah. I mean that's so a political that's, that's question. A different question. Yeah. Just, yeah, just, just so we're all, yeah. all clear. Um, well, the other there are piece though that that. I think is is troubling. Again, if you want to talk about uh, congressional power versus executive power, uh, one of the the Adam Schiff subpoenas uh, to AT and T, which were sent in secret, uh, the House members, uh, Republican House members, could not say anything about it because of the secrecy of the the committees, uh, and uh, AT and T uh, rolled over uh, like the corporate students they are. And have handed them the call logs of, uh, you know, the president's attorney. Um, does that give you pause? Uh, I guess. Well, I guess I would need to know more about whether the subpoenas were, you know, were, were legally were, were legally issued. I, as far as I know, sure. So I, I mean, they they were they were uh, they were issued. Well, there, there's a question there because they were issued before uh, the official announcement of the impeachment investigation. Mm-hmm. So there's a question of whether uh, uh, Congress has a legitimate interest in getting this information. Um, so that, that would be the, the defense sure. that at the time there was no legitimate interest. And you could, you could even make the argument that, you know, even post-impeachment, there's no legitimate interest. Um, uh, but, but I think the, the, the troubling piece of this is that uh, as a practical matter, uh, that AT&T did not go to court uh, could not could not go to court and just said, "Oh, here you go," uh, and then Schiff has has now released them. Um, I mean, again, well, AT and T could have AT could have refused. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so it sounds point. like your problem yeah. is more with AT and T. What is? It, okay. It, it's okay. Both. It's both. Because I mean, um, if if people do things that you feel while legal are unethical, 
I mean, that's that's uh, you know, that's the. I mean, I don't I don't necessarily think that it's uh, unethical. I think that as long as it was with it within the bounds of the law, then you know that's a that that's a reasonable path to take. Well, I think I think there may be some, um, uh, and it was also uh, Devin Nunes uh, uh, call logs were were uh, grabbed. Um, mm-hmm. And again, I think that's that's a more that's a, even a tougher uh, one to to claim a legitimate because it it all, all it very much looks like uh, you're just using the sub- congressional subpoena power to dig up dirt on your political opponents, uh, which which we know is is uh, at some and let's put it this way: Why would AT and T do this? Um, uh, the yeah, of, of course, is they don't want to offend uh, Congress, so. Uh, I mean, I think that's I, I think that's that's troubling as a, as a civil libertarian uh, if Congress can in in secret, because um, keep in mind that the actual targets of these subpoenas in, in a typical court uh, proceeding, uh, you would get notice. Right. And I, I uh, take your point. Records- no, I take your point on that. And I think the part of it that that does give me some pause is is the is the secrecy of it. So, yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a valid point. You know, so, yeah, absolutely. I guess another thing about this whole issue that seems strange to me is now we have multiple people, not all Republicans, but some Republicans, making this argument that Ukrainian officials expressing concern with, at that point, candidate Donald Trump's policies is basically the same thing as a coordinated Russian attack on our elections. I mean, that sort of equivalency, that sort of false equivalency, it just it blows my mind. I, I never thought I, well, I would see. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, no, I, I don't think that. I, I think that's a little far fetched to say that. Uh, but but there also there there were reporting. There was contemporaneous reporting in 2016 um, in Politico in and uh, uh, also in the U, in the uh, European Union uh, press. That said, you know, alleged uh, Ukrainian um, involvement uh, in the U.S. election. Um, it may be true. It may not be true. Um, uh, well, let's, but- let, let's stop there because we can say, you know, I could say, well, uh, uh, I am. It may be true. It may not be true. That's a that's a very interesting way to tra- the, to frame it, certainly, especially when our intelligence sure. agencies have looked into it. And so really the way to frame it based on the evidence we have, I'd say, was that it's almost certainly not true. It has been discredited by our own intelligence agencies, but it is a conspiracy theory that the president of the United States chooses to believe and has, you know, uh, encouraged others sure. to believe and parrot. And that's like like David French, uh, who's a. Uh, well, he used to write for National Review, I think now writes for that new thing, The Dispatch, has said, you know, this is what happens when the president of the United States is a genuine conspiracy theorist. And he certainly goes as a as a right. long history of that from the birtherism to, you know, and so uh, that to me is is another. Uh, no, ab- absolutely. And, and, and that's he, he could be dead wrong. He could be it could be a, a crazy conspiracy. Um, but. Is is does that does the president does does that make the president's inquiry into that illegitimate? No, I, I see what you're saying. It it doesn't make the inquiry itself into it illegitimate. But of course, there are. He has the constitutional authority to be absolutely wrong yeah. and to ask incredibly stupid yeah. questions. But there are also um, but, there are also ways that you can legitimately investigate something 
and ways that you can't. Just like you, you brought up the issue of the subpoenas, right? And you say, well, it's not the question of the subpoenas. It's the question that it was done in secret. And, and I, would, I would say, right. okay, that's a reasonable point. And I would say, well, it's not the question that Trump wanted to investigate corruption in Ukraine or, or maybe even argue that, that the Bidens were somehow involved. It's that he did it through this back channel with his personal attorney and didn't do it through open channels, that sort of thing. So mm. I think, so, you, you know, know I, I still, I still differ with you on that because I don't see the difference. I think the president can work through whatever channels he wants to. Um, right. So he, I mean, what in the constitution says you have to go through the, the process with the state department. He can work through his personal attorney who can claim a, a client attorney privilege and all this, who has a personal attorney who also has all sorts of intricate dealings, financial and otherwise in Ukraine. And none of that, none of that bothers you. Oh, it, it, it bothers me. I think it's, it's troubling for a lot of reasons, but I, I don't think it's unconstitutional. I don't think it's impeachable. Okay, no, okay. Well, there's the difference if there, you Jay. Me. You know, there's you know the what I'm saying? I mean, I, and that's I'm the whole there, point. There you know, yeah. You've talked about Hamilton before, and I know you're a big fan, and, and, and Hamilton you know, talked about the impeachment not being and removal not being a, a political or constitutional thing in that sense, but being a, a violation of the public trust. And if sure. you are doing nothing illegal— but you are in some way violating the public trust and not upholding, you know, the Constitution of the United States in the broadest sense. Well, that is impeachable and removable. I I think you can. I think it's a fair argument. I just I just don't think uh, it's it's there, and I don't think they've they've oh, gotten to that point. And sure, I think and the I, defense, I agree with you on the that. Defense to it. I agree with you on that. That, the, that they don't. That the evidence isn't there, which is why I hope when they draft the articles that they include an article about obstruction on uh, on the Mueller report, because I think there's a lot more clear evidence of obstruction there. And certainly, you know, having read the report, it, it's it's all over the place. And and Mueller, I think, was, you know, obviously right on the borderline of whether or not to indict. But because there's that policy in place, he didn't. And so I think that would be a much stronger case. And it seems like there's some. Well, keep in mind, Mueller, Mueller would not have had the Mueller would not have had the authority to indict. Right. And so. Right. And, I mean, Mueller, he, Mueller, Mueller would have said, I, I am I have making finding of of right. obstruction. Yeah. And then it goes to the Justice Department to indict right. or not Thank indict yeah. at that point. Then there's there's other political things in play, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, right. OK, good. Good point. And he it seemed like, I mean, from that one statement, you know, that, well, uh, I'm not saying that he didn't do it. I'm not saying that he did it. And so. So, yeah, I think that's a much stronger case to make for obstruction. And I'm hoping that that is one of the articles. But I think as a as a more practical oh, I, matter, I have no doubt it will be. Well, you know, there, there's been some there's been some debate within the party because there are some people who feel that basically a cleaner just focused on this one thing impeachment articles or impeachment articles would make more sense than, but, but then again, I, I think, I think you're right. I think it will be included. I think that's a good thing. I, I think there will be, I think it will be everything in the kitchen sink. It will be, um, uh, oh, you know, it'll be very limited. Be there'll, there'll, there'll be three or maybe four articles. There won't be that many articles. It won't be all the things. I don't think there'll be an oh, right. emoluments clause. It won't, thing. it won't be twenty articles, but those articles will be. And you know, this is this is something that, and we'll move on to the next subject because I know we're 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 uh, burning time here. But um, th this struck me that, that one of the problems that the the Democrats have gotten, and this is I'm not saying it's a legal problem. This is a this is a political problem is throughout this from the from the Mueller report 
um, through now, they have sort of overpromised, overstated. And and the reason I, I pointed to like Pelosi's uh, statement and also Adam Schiff's um, uh, report, uh, when they say things that, that you know they have engaged in, have undermined national security, jeopardized the integrity of our elections, um, and and the the Schiff report sort of went through a, a litany saying you know Trump is basically the worst president ever. No one has ever done anything even even closely as horrendous as this. I think I think that overstating it um, that leaves a lot of people just kind of you know scratching their heads like eh, it makes it look more political. I mean in in, in my experience, um, you know in in court. The strength of your case is usually uh, inversely proportional to the uh, number of adjectives that you use. Um, so, uh, you know, if, if you can go out and say the president broke the law, he needs to be impeached. That's a much stronger statement sure. than um, what we've got. Yeah. And, and I don't know that the president actually has broken any laws. I mean, Nixon was a lot easier case to make because he broke a bunch of laws and he was yeah. on tape. You know, that's a right. slam it was, dunk it was, sort it was of obstruction. thing. Trump. Trump was, or I'm sorry, Clinton was uh, um, uh, perjury. Clearly and broke a law. Yeah, no, one, exactly. no one, no one's really sure what the hell Andrew Johnson did. But right. <laughs> it was president it was, it was at the wrong time, of pissed off the wrong folks. Yeah, yeah exactly. But, yeah. but no, I, I take your point. It's not as strong of a case as I would like it to be, and that's that's to me comes back to my thing I mentioned at the top when you're we talking about this. It's it's so deeply frustrating when you believe there is a case to be made but it's not being made. And so I'm more, I mean, I expected, you know, I expected the Republicans to rally around the president and, you know, put that before uh, our national security concerns and all that, because that's just how the game seems to be played. I, I feel more on the right than on the left. Well, just say, let me just, let me, let me just say, I just think that, I just think that Republicans, a lot of, not all Republicans, but plenty of Republicans seem far less concerned about, uh, about, Russian aggression and our Russian influence in our elections because they're more concerned about their own short-term electoral interests. And hey, that's a choice they want to make. Okay, fine. But but to me, the the bigger disappointment to me is not with it's not with the Republicans, but it's with once my party decided to go ahead with impeachment, for them not to make an all-out attempt to make the strongest possible case. And so that, I think, is the most harmful thing, because if you if you go at the president and you don't bring your strongest case because you're concerned that it's going to it's going to interfere with your primary season, I think that's doing a disservice to the institutions and to the country. So I'd like to see the Democrats go harder, push more in the courts and really make make a make a real attempt to do everything they possibly can to bring to light what I believe to be the crimes of this president. Okay. One, one last thing, just because sure. I, you mentioned that not you're, they're, they're rushing it for the, the primary season. And I would disagree with you there because I think the reason they're rushing it and they need to get this done early in the year is because the longer the clock ticks, the, the less um, needed impeachment seems to be. Right. That, sure. That's right? another good point. Yeah, absolutely. The argument of, well, we're going to have the, an election. The clock is ticking. And every day that we get closer to November, uh, it, it strengthens the Republican argument about yeah. why are we doing this? We got an election in X number of months. Let's let the people, let's let the voters decide. And it puts the Democrats in the position of, well, we don't, you know, <laughs> because we don't like how they decided last time. Um, but, you know, I want to ask you about that argument. I'm glad you brought that up, Jay, because it seems to me that that argument boils down to, well, this person may have done some egregious things, but because he did them at 
point X in time as opposed to X minus two or three, we're going to let it slide. And so I would think that if, yeah. uh, to me, that's not a good argument saying that, hey, if the person, if, if you believe that the president did things that are, should make him subject to impeachment and removal, it doesn't matter if you find out about that two months before the election, you have a duty because all members of Congress have sworn a duty to protect and defend the Constitution, that your constitutional duty is to proceed with that with whatever time you have left. Well, the, the, if you're protecting and defending the Constitution, there's also a lot of, in there about the, the people electing the president. Um, so it, it's, it's sort of a balancing act, right? And you, you weigh the egregiousness of, of the offenses, uh, the need for an immediate removal versus the need for an election or whether someone can be removed through election. And I mean, keeping in mind, uh, Nixon and Clinton were both in their second term when right. they were impeached. Right. So there was a, there was a little bit of a different, uh, a different dynamic at work there because there wasn't going to be another election. Um, uh, at least as to that president. Yeah. Um, good point. So no, I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's an argument and, and even so look, it's, it's not, we're not talking about legal arguments. We're talking about political yeah. arguments Yeah. and the, the, you know, people in Congress who are going to do the impeaching have to, uh, convince the people back home that look, you know, we have a really good reason we're jumping in and doing this and not just letting you vote on it. Yeah. And, and, you know, from the beginning, you know, Jay, I was pushing kind of along the lines of Nancy Pelosi that I didn't think this was a good thing to do. I didn't think, you right. know, that it was there and it was going to. And so I was I was arguing for caution. But I think once you go listen. in. No, you know, once you, you go in, you can, I, you know, I really feel, you know, I've tried. That's all I can say. I've tried. So, well, so moving on, because um, we'll be talking about impeachment next week, too, about that. Um, <laughs> maybe not you and I, but whoever is on. Yeah. Um, uh, and also speaking of prosecutors, uh, ah, presidential yeah. hopeful Kamala Harris uh, has ended her bid for the presidency, um, citing uh, fundraising difficulties. Uh, that she is just, and, and also just the, the fact, she didn't cite this, I'm citing this, has, has really failed to gain traction uh, since um, uh, back in the summer where she was sort of seen as, as a, the rising star, if, if not not the front runner, sort of the um, ascendant um, uh, uh, yeah. uh, challenger. Mm -hmm. uh, probably the best. Um, uh, Harris uh, has uh, noted that uh, she was not a billionaire, um, <laughs> and that uh, she can't fund her own campaign like other billionaires who would remain nameless um, uh, in this campaign. Uh, uh, she has also uh, uh, vowed to keep fighting. Uh, she was vowed to keep fighting about a whole lot of stuff and also vowed to keep fighting every single day, um, I suppose, even holidays and weekends uh, <laughs> for what, what she believes in. Um, and yeah. my, my, sense, my sense from that is, uh, she'll uh, keep fighting uh, to maybe be a vice presidential uh, nominee. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was the one big development in uh, the um, Democratic field. The other is that uh, Joe Biden has um, uh, launched on uh, what is he's calling the, it's the charmingly quaint uh, no malarkey tour. Oh my gosh. Um, and uh, I'm, and I'm, I'm, as, as a Republican sort of Republican strategist, what could possibly go wrong um, <laughs> with, with that? But yeah. Um, so, so what are your thoughts on uh, the the? Also, I mean, the other piece I was going to note is that Harris's uh, withdrawal leaves the field um, uh, again much uh, older and whiter uh, yeah. than it was when we started last week. Yeah. Well, you know, in a way. This is gonna. This is a. This is the comparison most people wouldn't expect. In a way, Harris reminds me of Bob Dole. You probably oh, yeah. 
You know, I okay, get that. you got that one. Okay, because uh, folks who've been following politics for a, a while will will recall that Bob Dole at one point said, "You want me to be another Ronald, Ronald Reagan? I'm willing to be another Ronald Reagan if that's what you want." And it's just like right. Bob Dole wanted to be president because it was Bob Dole's turn to be president. I guess you know, and he. Yeah paid his dues. And, and I think that was a big part of the Harris campaign is she stood for some stuff, kind of, sort of, but it was more like, well, what do you want me to stand for? I can be more liberal. I can be more conservative, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Just I'll, I'll do that thing. Sure. You know? And I think that was the biggest part of it. And so she was on paper, maybe looked, I think a lot of people downplayed the extent to which her being a, uh, her being a prosecutor her with uh, African-American audiences, you know, and that led to some skepticism, certainly. And there's that whole weird electability thing. I think there are a lot of folks, including minority voters, who say, right, we're going to elect a black woman. That, that, that's going to happen. I don't think so. And that's, I think that's unfair. But if people, you know, as long as people believe that, that means that that's a harder, that's a harder uh, uh, thing for a a black female candidate to to deal with and and not shockingly it's harder just in general to be a female and to be a minority female in america is harder still and so yeah harris is right i think in saying it's not fair but you know that's that's what she had to overcome and she just wasn't able to do it well I, i think the other thing that and and you were right in pointing this out is that she didn't really develop an identity yeah um and she sort of she sort of became, you know, sort of the overnight sensation uh, after that first or, or second debate or whatever it was um, when she went after Joe, uh, Joe Biden on on busing, of all things. Right. Um, and, and there was sort of this this like great Twitter up uh, uh, updraft of, of uh, liberals or leftists or however how progressives, maybe I should call them. Uh, who love this and either he's she's putting Biden in her place. But then the next day, sort of it, it dawned on her. Oh, yeah. Do we want to run on busing? Yeah. Um, you know, in, in the year 2020, uh, 2020 um, on an issue that, that was decided and no one really liked back in the 70s. Um, uh, and, and then likewise with the health care, uh, uh, she was for Medicare for all. Uh, and then, well, um, uh, maybe not. And, well, you either, you know, you can keep your plan, but, well, kind of and, and just it was just sort of a muddled. Um, she yeah. couldn't, she couldn't, uh, get to the left of either, uh, Bernie or Elizabeth Warren. Um, and, uh, she, yeah. you know, I just, again, she just kind of didn't have, she got kind of, it's kind of like there were, again, you know, everyone talks about lanes in politics. There was like a couple lanes kind of merging and she just didn't have a lane to stay in, <laughs> you know? Yeah. You know, that's an interesting point you make about the lanes because, uh, while the media and all of the people in what I guess we'd call the highly engaged public are you know firm believers in this lanes idea there was some recent polling that came out on this about asking thousands of democratic voters or likely democratic voters about their first and second choices and to get a sense of you know if these lanes actually if it's just a name recognition thing and basically at this point at least for regular democratic voters this seems to be much more of a name recognition thing and not like an ideological thing but more of a well who who do I know? Number one and number two. Right. Who do I think and has the best? Joe Biden is number one. Exactly. And and number two, who do I think has the best chance of beating Donald Trump? 
is number two. So yeah. I, I think that the lanes thing is real, but I think that the media tends to overplay it a, a, a little bit or maybe a lot actually. But, uh, and so it'll be interesting to see what happens because they're obviously Harris put together a, a pretty good organization. And so a lot of those people are going to be sought after that. There were some reports that within, you know, before the body was cold, as they say, they were getting, they were yeah. getting calls and that sort of thing. Uh, but, you know, I, a lot of, a lot of minority voters are still sticking with Joe Biden. And uh, if, you know, I guess because certainly out of Joe Biden's mouth, it seems like every my friend Barack, that sort of thing, you know. But on right, on to right. Biden, you know, he got that endorsement this week from from uh, John Kerry, you know, seventy five year old John Kerry right. with his with his finger on the pulse, <clears throat> I guess. Uh, but yeah, I love right. the, and you know the, the no malarkey tour you mentioned. You know, it's it's easy to make fun of. I thought about that, so certainly it's not designed to bring in the kids, right? <laughs> but right. <laughs> but well, it's it's sort of like the like uh, you know sort of you know so so dorky it's it's cool yeah. kind of you well, know yeah but if you look if you look at He's Iowa, campaigning ironically well yeah well i don't necessarily think so because I, I think that joe biden isn't like an ironic guy he just he's not like he's not like that but if you take a look at iowa democratic caucus goers at least from 2016 so i mean the biggest percentage of them are well 37% are under 45, were under 45, 36% were 45 to 64, and 28% were 65 or older. So I would guess to that 28%, no malarkey might sound reasonable, and maybe to that other, you know, 25, 45 to 64, that 36%, okay, fine. So I think he's playing more to what he thinks is going to energize Iowa caucus goers who are also, you know, very much uh, white folks, 91% right. white in 2016. And he's you know, also trying to show, I think, the old guy's still feisty, right? Saying, Buttigieg stole my health care plan. And right. that, that guy who talked about his son's work in Ukraine, you're a damn liar, that kind of thing. you know. Uh, because if you take a look at the polls right now, things had been pretty static. But if you look at Iowa right now, uh, Buttigieg actually has a pretty strong lead in Iowa over everyone else. And New Hampshire, I mean, Buttigieg actually is in the lead right now in New Hampshire. Now, nationally, that's not the case. You still have pretty clearly Biden's been hanging out around, you know, in the upper 20s for a while. And then you have that, you know, Sanders, Warren, and then Buttigieg. But I think those national numbers are obviously a bit misleading because people will be the people who aren't that focused on the race are going to be taking a lot of their cues from the coverage of Iowa and New Hampshire and so forth. So I think that's, you know, a little bit of what we're, what we're seeing in the polling. So I'm here. My, here's my thing. This is just purely campaign strategy uh, sort of thought, but as your sense that uh, the word malarkey, which is, uh, I guess, can be can be. I'm defined, so glad be, we get to say that word so often on this well, show. I love this, it. Well, and this is this is quite honestly, I think, his problem. Um, I mean, does he mean it as the sort of uh, no BS? You know, I'm not Trump. I'm not. You know, you're not going to yeah. get that. Or is or is it um, no malarkey in that? Is there an implied in there? Look, none of this goofy stuff. Um, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Like like Medicare for all and reparations and all that. I, you know, I'm I'm sort of signaling. Look, I'm just a regular uh, uh, run of the mill Democrat sort of sort of guy. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, as, as opposed to uh, you know, and is is it essentially saying you know no no huge huge crazy yeah. restructuring? No, of that's the, a, is that that, the message. 
Yeah, that's a great point. I, I hadn't thought about yeah. it in those terms, but I, and well, also pay me for this. Well, you know, if you take a look, for instance, at uh, the tax plan, the tax plan that Joe Biden released this week, uh, it's essentially what the tax code. Not, and this is oversimplifying, but it's basically what the tax code was under the Obama presidency. So it's just rolling it, rolling back the GOP tax tax plan and making it what it was under his good friend Barack. And that seems to be the biggest part. Well, there are, it seems to me there are two planks to the Biden campaign. One is I will, I am the person best positioned to beat Trump. And third, I am just going to be more like a, like an old white version of Barack Obama. So if you want a third term of Obama, just elect me and sure. I'll give you, you want me to be Obama? I can be Obama for exactly. you. You know, I mean, just not as, not as, uh, not as good of a speaker. And so if, that to me is the fatal flaw, because I think if you're campaigning on the idea that, well, I want to be president because I want to be president. My turn. Yeah, yeah, it's my turn. And Joe Biden's been running for president for, what, 30 years, more than that, something we like that. were in high school when he was running for president. There you go. And we are not young folks. So I think that to me is not exactly disqualifying. But if you do not have a good answer to that question, why you, then I don't think that I don't think it's going to work. And I think, you know, we take a look. Donald Trump had a great answer to that question. Why you Hillary Clinton did not. Right. Barack Obama had a great yeah. answer to that question. Why you and the people running against him? I don't think so much did. And so right. and John, John McCain was again, I it's my turn. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You know, and so I think that's so important. I think that's what killed Harris's campaign. And I think that's why Joe Biden is not going to be nearly as strong of a candidate as a lot of people think, because I think he believes he's he's ultimately a politician who believes that he should be president because he's believed it since he was probably sometime in his some somewhere in his 30s, right. like half a century right. ago. And that's a right. horrible reason and to want to be president or to be president. You know? Yeah. Well, to, to me, again, this is even just the, again, we're getting to like the the linguistics of it. The and and if if I were Biden's campaign people, I would just be cringing because if you're running against Trump, I mean, you have you have forever tied the name of Biden to malarkey now, right? Sure. That's that's what we're going to remember. It's almost like the the Carter um, whip inflation now buttons. Right. I'm sorry, that's Ford. That's, uh, whip that's inflation Ford. now yep. buttons. Yep. Yeah, and and that that it was just you know win, <laughs> it was just so goofy. Yeah, and and it was just so you know, and so I think anytime you know, uh, Biden says anything, it, it will Trump will will open with that's a bunch of malarkey. I yeah. mean, it's sort of that's that's what I would well, do. Well, I, I just I mean the Saturday Night yeah. Live skit kind of writes itself, right? It, yeah. It's almost like the Al Gore lockbox uh, thing, right? Yeah. I mean, it's well, I when I when I, 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 I think I'm about, saying, I think it's just a bad, I think it's just a bad. Uh, Bad branding. Yeah, I think I, when I when I envision presidential debates between Donald Trump and Joe Biden, I just uh, I I do not I do not even want to envision it because I just see I just see utter disaster for Joe Biden in that sort of form. And and so yeah, that's I, I do not think that Joe Biden should be anyone who wants to right. defeat Trump's choice for the presidential nominee because I just do not see that ending well even a little bit. Right. What was what was your son Hunter up to in the Ukraine, Joe? Ah, it's a bunch of malarkey. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, just, yeah, yeah, it's bad. So anyway, moving on to something uh, policy related. Before we do um, move on, 
Jay. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, we got to do. We got to thank people. You know, yeah, we do actually. We have a, a, up with this. We have a bunch of new supporters, and we'd like to thank you. We have uh, Robin, Ed, Mark, and Megan, all new supporters, and uh, thank you so much. Robin wrote in. Oh. I'm a 71-year-old grandmother attempting to understand our current political world by combining what I can learn with what I've experienced so far in my life. The Politics Guys podcast is invaluable to me. So thank you, Robin. We definitely appreciate that. Megan wrote, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and appreciate hearing all the different perspectives. I've thought about becoming a supporter for several months and your Black Friday slash Cyber Monday deal <laughs> finally moved me yeah, from want to support to actually supporting. Keep up the good work. And then finally, Garrett uh, wrote, uh, I've recently, I've been a listener for three years and I finally have the ability to contribute now that I've graduated college and have a steady income. You've all done a lot to help shape my outlook on American politics, and I'm very thankful for the work that you do. I've yet to find a source of oh, news and you. commentary. That really, that really means a lot. I mean, yeah, we've probably absolutely. done that enough. Yeah. yeah. He said, I've yet to find a source of news and commentary that I feel comes close to the balanced and thoughtful analysis I get from the politics guys every week. So I thought that was really nice. We really appreciate that. And of course, when you become a supporter through Patreon, you get access to our weekly bonus show and a bunch of other things that we put together for supporters at all kinds of levels. To check it out, click on the support link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash politicsguys or just go to politicsguys.com slash support. And also, Jay, one thing I wanted to let you know about and every listeners as well, Wilmer Moreno, one of our executive producers, he had this great idea. He wanted to give the politics guys as a holiday gift. Um, which I thought wow. you said, can we do that? And I said, I, I don't know. Um, sure. Why not? And <laughs> so I figured out a way to do it. If you're interested in setting someone up as a supporter, giving them access, you know, to the bonus show, quick takes and, you know, at the $10 a month level, politics guys, mug, tote bag, whatever. I'd be happy to help you out. Uh, Patreon doesn't do gift memberships, which they should, but I figured out a way around that system and I'd be happy to help help you make that happen. So if you're interested in that, just email me at Mike at politicsguys.com and I will get you all set up. The politics guys, it makes a great gift for that hard to buy for It'll be the best Christmas ever. You know, there you go. Uh, and uh, so yeah, uh, Jay, and we have one more, at least one more story we want to get to. Sorry, I interrupted you yeah. there, but go ahead. No, no, no. Well, our last, this is more, uh, 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 you know, actual policy stuff, uh, is that the uh, uh, Trump administration announced uh, it's uh, going to be uh, instating a, a new rule that will, in, in some to some extent, reinstate work requirements for all able-bodied uh, people receiving aid under the federal SNAP program. That's the food stamps program. Um, essentially, what what the new rules would do would <clears throat> would curb. Uh, states' abilities to get waivers of this. The way the program works is that um, the uh, the law, as it starts out, says uh, if you're able-bodied uh, and under 65, um, you have to uh, commit to working either 20 hours a week or doing 20 hours a week of, of some sort of job or vocational training. Um, but states are allowed to waive that requirement uh, in uh, areas where the uh, unemployment rate is 20% above the national average. Um, now, the what, what's, uh, what had happened is you have a lot of states where they could sort of creatively draw these districts. Um, uh, for example, Illinois is entirely one district except for one county. Um, 
and and come up with the numbers that okay this is enough to get the waiver um and uh so this is is aimed at, at curbing that the the total um uh you know effect on this is is expected of 7.3 recipients of the um 36.4 million people who currently receive uh, SNAP aid. So, Mike, uh, I guess you can probably guess where I'm, I would be coming from on this one as a cold-hearted uh, conservative. Um, but but uh, what are your thoughts? Well, I think there's a conservative case actually to be made for it. Now, now about? There we on, go. on the front line, of course, it saves a little bit of money, just a bit over a billion dollars a year. Right. Um, but actually, and here's, I think, the conservative economic growth case is the Agriculture Department itself, which administers this in July of 2019, issued a report finding that for every additional dollar spent on uh, food stamps, which is the SNAP program, overall ec- economic activity rises by up to a dollar fifty. So this is actually a pro growth policy that's being cut, which seems odd to me. Not only that, but the waiver policy actually, I think, makes a lot of sense because I feel like if a county can make a good case for a waiver, they should be given the opportunity to do it. And this is basically a conservative federalism argument, I would say. And so I'd like to see more flexibility for these for these local conditions, essentially, because now under these new rules, if uh, a, an area has a sudden sharp increase in unemployment, it can't qualify. In fact, the only way it can qualify is if its average unemployment rate over the past 24 months is both 20% above the national average and also at least 6%. And 24 months is a right. long period of time. I thought that was actually 7.3, 7. or no, I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, 6%. I'm sorry. That's, that's correct. And so I, I have a problem with that 24 months thing. I think that's far too long. And so uh, that's why... I, I think this could have been drawn, especially given the fact that the agriculture departments, and this is the Trump agriculture department's own research has found that this is a pro-growth program. I think this is a, I think this is a short-term game and a, and a long-term opportunity missed. And of course, you know, it's not like SNAP is this massive, uh, this, this massive handout to folks. Average monthly SNAP benefits are 165 bucks, which doesn't go very far. And so I think on all those grounds, this is, this is just a big mistake. Well, I, I guess go back to the the core of this though, which which came out of the the Clinton um, uh, changes to welfare, right? Ending welfare as we know it back in the nineties, and and the idea was that setting aside, and I agree with you, the 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 savings from a fiscal conservative uh, point, um, it's it's great to save a billion dollars uh, in the great scheme of things. Um, that that doesn't really move the needle budget wise. Um, but that there's a certain uh, pro pro growth pro uh, good policy to have people working who can work. Right now we've got a situation where we've got record low employment, and businesses are still complaining they can't find enough qualified workers. Uh, there are there are there are more jobs uh, openings than there are people who are filling them, uh, and and that to me is is a you know that's a constraint on growth. Um, that's, that's one. Uh, the second is there's, there's value and there's dignity, uh, in work. And this is one of these things that it's difficult to quantify, but I think Bill Clinton got it. Um, that, that, you know, this is, I mean, if, if you, if you can work, you ought to, and just, just because you, you do go to work doesn't mean you, you surrender your, 
um, your SNAP aid. I mean, it, and again, this is we're talking about 20 hours of work or some sort of training so that you can get a better job. Um, I, I just uh, I, I, I think, think it, it strikes I, me as sort of a common sense sort of I, thing. I think the logic is I think the logic is is questionable because this idea that uh, that five dollars a day in food aid, which is what that average monthly SNAP benefit sure. works out to, is going to be enough to get have somebody say, oh, well, you know what? I was just going to sit home and try to make $5 a day, feed my family of three or, or sorry, feed myself because it only applies to individuals. Right, so exactly. Single, this, yeah, so, this, not, yeah. so this a dollar something a meal, wow, this is what's keeping me from working. I think it's a, I think it's a fallacious argument. I, I, don't, I just do not understand, on no level does this make sense to me, especially, especially given the fact that this is this is shown by the agriculture department's own research to actually generate economic activity. And so the I mean the the logic that makes a lot more sense to me is hey well, if you I make guess, or what are they, what's the what's the agriculture department comparing it to? Are they comparing it to this gener giving giving out this money generates more activity than just not giving it out or yeah. are they comparing it to giving out versus having this person employed somewhere? Well, sure. But I think the argument, again, this is where the fallaciousness of the argument comes in, I believe. This idea that, that, that a human being, any, any even semi-rational human being would say, well, you know, I really, uh, I really should be looking for work, but, you know, I've got this snap money and I'm good, you know, because, hey, it's, 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 it's $5.30 a day. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. Really, I don't need to look for work. The idea that that would be enough to get somebody to to make that decision, I think is just is ludicrous to me. So you're saying we should cut more benefits? No, I'm saying that I'm saying that I'm <laughs> saying that we should. I'm saying that we sh that there's no logical reason that I can see to actually cut these benefits. Well, the, the logical that. reason, the logical reason to me is is that if if someone is able to work and there are jobs available, they should work. And I think they already are. That's my point. Is that this idea that somebody is not working because they're getting SNAP benefits is is I think is ridiculous. Well, why aren't they working? Because they can't find jobs. Okay. I mean, I guess it's to me then that that goes to look. Then we're offering here's the there's uh, this area where you can you know twenty hours of of. Uh, Education. And again, there's, there are, are numerous. Uh, there's a federal program that that provides uh, workforce investments. Uh, I served on the board for the the one here in Cleveland. Um, that that's what they do is is they train people. If you don't have the skills to, if 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 a big employer in your area shut down and you need to be retrained to do something else, there are avenues to do that. And, and, um, and those are and we're universally spending, available. We're spending money. We're spending a lot of federal money to 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 finance those avenues. Uh, we ought to, people ought to take advantage of them uh, if they need to. So it's their fault. Well, I, it, uh, it's not mine. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's, you know, I'm, I'm not I sure. I don't know. It just seems to me part of this larger idea of, you know what, if we just make people miserable enough, they'll get off their lazy asses and work. And I just reject that. Well, I, I would say it's a matter of we have historically low unemployment. This is the lowest unemployment rate in, in 50 years. And yet, American businesses are still looking for workers. Now, there's always going to be some sort of mismatch between, you know, either geographic of here's where these businesses are and here's where the workers are, or here's the skills we want and here's the skills the workers have. Um, sure. But what I'm saying is there's there are ways to, to address that. And I, 
but when I, you I have, think- yeah, I see what you're saying. But when you have a program that that bases these benefits on average unemployment rate over two years, that seems to me to be not nearly responsive enough to what might be happening at that time. So I might be uh, willing no, I to. Mean, I, I think that's a that's a fair argument. Okay. But- so that 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 at least maybe that's one area that we could we could agree on. There could be possibly some some you know some area. No, some problem. sort of override of if if you're in a place that that uh, geographically and again, um, my sense would be, uh, uh, you know, if some place close. Well, and, and keep in mind, I think this only cuts you off. Um, you have an initial yeah, how three many months, months, I believe it is. Yeah, 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 regardless of of anything. Yeah. Um, so, uh, again, I, I hate to sound like a Scrooge here, but um, I, I, this this seems to me, I think there's, yeah. uh, we, <clears throat> I'll just tell you something quick anecdotally, because of when I served on this uh, Workforce Investment Board, um, that we often ran into, there were there were sort of two two tracks of, of people that we dealt with, and there was, there was one uh, track of folks who had been working in some industry, they had been skilled, they were tradespeople. Um, and they would be forced out of work because of a closure of some some plant, some employer, changes in the industry, whatever. They would go through these programs. They would get retrained to do something else. Within a couple months, they found another job paying as 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 good or better than what they had before. Um, and the, that program worked fantastic for those people. Uh, there were other folks, though, who came in without the, as they call them, soft skills, these are just being able to show up on time, pass a drug test, that sort of thing, um, uh, who did not, you know, and, and who are still, are still stuck there. And I, I think that's, this isn't even necessarily a, a commentary on the, the SNAP program, but um, that I, I think we've, part of what, what uh, Clinton tried to do with the welfare reform was to, you know, create this, this idea where everybody is working, engaging in the economy, so you're building skills, uh, and if something bad does happen, you've got those skills to fall back on and you get the retraining and then you're back in the game in as quickly as, as possible. Um, and, and I think this is a step towards that, towards uh, keeping more in line with the, the intent of uh, welfare reform from the 90s. And I, I might agree with that if we if we made much more serious investments in, in, in training and support for folks. But I think that our level of investment in that is, is absurdly low. Okay. All right. Well, on that note, I guess that pretty much, uh, that pretty much (laughs) runs us out of our time for today, but uh, we actually are going to be talking more actually where Jay, you and I for, for the, um, for the midweek show, uh, we're trying something new. I'll give the folks a little uh, preview of that. Uh, a lot of folks have said about the interview saying, you know, they're not really bipartisan and so forth. And we'd like to hear from more than just Mike talking to some liberal guy. Well, we're actually going to try that out because I am going to be talking to some liberal guy, but Jay's got some thoughts about that interview as well. And so we're unveiling a new format for our interviews and we, uh, we, we hope you like it. We'll be, that'll be on Wednesday, but before that as well, Jay and I are going to be doing the bonus show and Jay, what are we going to be talking about in the bonus show this week? Oh, we're going to be talking about, uh, arguments at the Supreme court over guns. Uh, Ooh. we'll be talking about, uh, Trump and, uh, the, uh, NATO, uh, summit and, um, sort of yeah. i don't know the, the cool kids make it fun of them um cool yeah, <laughs> and that, probably that, some tariffs 
That should, that, should be, that should be good. Yeah. And then we also have the quick take and Will is doing the quick take this week. And so all of that should be available to you if you are already a supporter. And if you're not, patreon.com slash politicsguys, get signed up or go to politicsguys.com slash support. And if you want to get in touch with us, or again, if you're interested in maybe giving politics guys as a gift to that special or not so special someone who anyone really <laughs> it's mail at politicsguys.com. Also, we've been having some great discussions at our new subreddit. That's bipartisan politics. Just go to reddit.com slash R slash bipartisan politics, or just go to Reddit and search for bipartisan politics. And if you don't already subscribe to the show, that costs you absolutely nothing and helps us out. So we would appreciate that as do positive reviews on whatever podcast app you are listening to us on. Executive producer of the politics guys are Bruce Johnson, Wilma Moreno, Andra Masker, and Daniel Toe. Today's show is produced by Jay Carson and Michael Baranowski. We'll be back with a new show on Wednesday. We hope you'll join us.